And we do that through our High Density Happiness Speaker Series, which this is a part of. Um, we launched it last year with the M Pavilion, and we, we do um, talks um, every fortnight here or there um, at Jewel Station, which, our, which is our recent project in Brunswick. Um, so this topic is a, is a slight deviation from, from what we usually discuss. Um, and it's, it's one very close to my heart in terms of having eco, equal gender representation in the property industry. Um, it's, I suppose in, in the architecture industry, there's in, in sector of it, um, there's a huge amount of advocacy from Parla and groups like that, which are doing fantastic work. Um, but within the property sector, it's, I feel like it's maybe a little bit less pronounced. Um, so as we'll kind of go through, it's a very kind of quite um, informal session in terms of I have a, a series of questions which I'll, which I'll mediate and I'll speak on the part of a mediator as well as from Near Metro as well. Um, but if Obviously, if anyone has any questions, feel free to pop up your hand, or otherwise we can have questions at the end. Um, so just to introduce the speakers who I have with me, who are you know a fantastic um, cross-section of the property community, which I'm thrilled that everyone's been able to join me this evening. Um, to my left, we've got Amy Mullins, who's the Executive Director of the Women's Leadership Institute, um, and which seeks to increase women's um, uh, exposure and leadership and, and create solutions to achieve gender balance representation. Um, Amy is also an advisor to the Male Champions of Change, which we'll discuss in, in a moment, which is affiliated with the um, Property Council of Australia. Um, to my right is Angus McNaughton, who's CEO and Managing Director for Sinti Centres. Um, he's had 25 years in the property um, sector and is a member of the Male Champions of Change. And then to my far right, um, we've got Daniel Salvio, who's a project coordinator with Brookville Multiplex, but is also um, initiative started up Gazella, um, which is a, a Gazella blog, which I highly, uh, if you've not heard of it before, highly recommend you look up um, and profiles. It's an independent publication that profiles women in the built environment and really kind of expresses their stories and you know how different women came came to the, came to the property industry and how they've how they've progressed through it. So I might start off um, just with opening it up to the panel um, with. I suppose setting the context um, that the built environment has been traditionally very male-dominated, um, with the emphasis on supporting women, but the emphasis of supporting women is greater than ever. Um, so, do we think that the industry is doing enough to hire women from entry level through to senior management? Angus, I might start with you. Ah, oh, excellent. Nothing like a purely <laughs> question to start. Um, thank you. Maybe just a little bit of our background, so mm. it gives you a context. Um, so, vicinity centres, no one knows the name of because we keep on changing it just to confuse people. Um, we've got 90 shopping centres around Australia. We have around 9,000 retailers. Um, we've got about 1,300 employees across our business. Gender diversity is about 60% female and 40% male. Um, but naturally, like most other property industries, it's probably skewed in the wrong areas. Um, we own shopping centres like Emporium in the city here. Um, we own Chadston Shopping Centre um, as another one. So hopefully you've all shopped there at some stage. And we've got about 15 or 16 centres just in Victoria. Um, what we do is we build, own and manage shopping centres um, right across Australia. So we've got a big development pipeline. Um, so we have a lot of people in our development team. And gender diversity has been uh, pretty strong on our radar for a period of time. Our business came about from two companies joining together as part of a merger about 15 months ago. So while uh, I suppose diversity has been on the agenda, it's really only the last sort of 15 to 18 months after the merger um, that we've really ramped up what we're doing. I think the industry generally, uh, the real estate industry, has been pretty poor. Um, what I've seen, um, and Amy's been a big part of this, has been the property males champions for change. That doesn't mean we're all experts on it. It means we're actually listening and looking to do something about fixing gender diversity across the industry. So you've got the chief executives of all of the top property companies, and most of them are listed, not all of them, most of them are listed on the ASX um, and are large companies. 
Uh, we're 25th in terms of size on the ASX, but no one knows our name. Um, but you've got the representation of all the CEOs across the industry. And I've never seen an industry body, and I've been in real estate for sort of 25 years, I've never seen the property industry come together than ever before. All the CEOs attend the meetings and are actually looking to make a difference. So a lot to do, um, but I think the team is making a really good effort uh, and I think it's heading in the right direction. So I think the industry is really serious about making a change, more than I've ever seen before. And Danielle, I suppose from your perspective, I mean, you obviously personally working within the property industry, but also hearing anecdotally the stories yeah. of women from an enormous amount of cross-section, um, how would you contribute uh, contribute to that in terms of what how the property industry could be doing more to hire women and, and, and really kind of be open to the leadership positions as well? Yeah, I think um, in the past five also years I've been in the industry, there's been a change. So I think when I started as a grad, I was one of two females in my intake. Um, now, I think the most recent intake at Multiplex was about 40, 60. Um, and I certainly um, am under the impression that at university level, um, speaking to Valerie Francis from Melbourne Uni, that um, you know there is certainly an increase um, at that level. I think the problem is still um, those numbers at entry level translating into senior management. Um, and um, I think it sounds like in property-related fields that is really starting to shift. Um, and there is obviously a lot of the women we speak to in property, um, their companies are very actively um, promoting women internally rather whether it's by quotas or um, via mentoring or um, just actively selecting women um, for leadership. Um, I think in construction, though, um, that hasn't really happened yet. Um, there's certainly, I'm not sure um, about the other companies, but I don't think anyone um, from Multiplex is involved in um, the male champions. Um, and I don't think um, any of the other big here, builders are being quite as active in that sphere. So I think there's still a lot of um, room there mm. <laughs> for improvement. Maybe um, I'll just add to that. We, we've recently employed a new head of our developments across our business. Um, we've got a very big development pipeline, it's a $3.7 billion. Um, and the lady we have employed is um, a lady called Carolyn Viney, um, who is the CEO for Grocon Constructions, who is obviously a major constru constructor around the industry. So um, she tells the story when she um, joined um, Grocon originally of I'm not, the workforce might have been eight or 900 people and she was a female female lawyer coming into a property industry uh, and was made, started off in the general council and worked her way through until she became the CEO of that organisation. So she's had an amazing transformation. And so from my perspective, to have those sort of role models in our business is just it's just fantastic um, I but think, I, I think there's a long way to go yet i think um there are those those um shining lights like um like carolyn um but i think it's really that middle management um that kind of the more um the level that someone at my age um has access to um there's not a lot of women at that point um so that's where we need to make the the biggest gains i think to um get better equity I might um, turn to Amy. Do you want to maybe introduce uh, or describe your role with the, the Male Champions of Change? And because you're involved with a lot of the governance of it, do you think, and you were involved in a lot of kind of setting the objectives of it as well, um, that, that the industry is doing enough? Um, well, 
First of all, yeah, I'll say I helped co-found the property Male Champions, which is kind of where my first, actually, no, I first started working with the founding group when I started in my role, and that was around the panel pledge. So our Women's Leadership Institute initiated the panel pledge, which got all the men to say, I will always ask the question, what's the gender balance on this panel or at this conference before I speak? So that was my first kind of initiation into male champions of change. Um, And then I think it was uh, 2015 is when the property male champions of change started. So we've been going for now two years. Um, And I stepped back recently because I just didn't have the time to commit as much of it all just to property, which means I've now had a broader look at all the male champions groups and that spans architecture property, uh, elite sport, founding. um, The Victorian group is very diverse in the sectors they cover and includes the AFL, Incitec, Pivot, NAB. So that's a very diverse group. Um, So yeah, they're coming from all areas. And there's also a a consulting group that's coming on board and they've got a lot of engineering um, arms and agencies with them. But in terms of the property group. It's such an um, interesting group because there's the agencies who are a bit behind um, than some of the others. And we've got construction. So there's Len Lease and Mervac, um, John Mulcahy, the chair, being the member. Um, and then we've got a special advisor. We have a female special advisor in our group, Carmel Hurrigan, who is at AMP uh, Capital and is the head of property there global property. Um, so that group is very diverse within property. We don't focus on architecture because there is an architecture group, um, but they all have the similar challenges, and they're, but they're all at different stages in their journey. Um, and they all, actually we did, EY did a, an initial report um, interviewing 15 of the major property organisations. Um, and they found that uh, overall it's gender balanced in terms of entry level Um, people coming into the property sector. That does count, you know, the um, admin up to profit and loss um, key management roles. So there's a whole range of roles in that, like in terms of frontline and inside. But it is, it does start out as very balanced overall, but then as soon as you get to the first management level, so not even middle management, but just you're a manager now of some people, um, you see a big drop off. And then you go to middle management, there's another drop off. And then you get to senior management and there's barely anyone there who are women. So it you can't really say that um, there's a lack of women at the beginning, although there probably are in different spots or areas of expertise. So, you know, there'll be less women in engineering uh, roles than there will be men. But um, interestingly, if you look at the Grow the Talent Pool report, which the Property Council and EY did, it was fascinating to see the types of qualifications that people in the property sector actually have and the gender breakdown of those qualifications because actually um, women studied business and commerce more than men did, which most people would think, surely, you know, there are more business and commerce students who are men. Actually, at Melbourne Uni, it's 60% female. So there's a lot of kind of myth busting that we also need to do about what is the profile of someone in property, what are the skills and attributes we're looking for for someone in property. And as um, Angus mentioned, the fact is that a lot of these very senior women in property never started in property. They came from finance or law. And so they fell in love with property when they came to it by accident. But, you know, there there is this lack of... um, initial inspiration or motivation to join property, um, you know, that and then stay in property for that whole period to get to leadership. It's more of a crisscrossing 
via industry. So if I'm talk, coming to your other point, which was about is the property sector doing enough, uh, I don't think any sector is doing enough. It can always do more. Um, you know, no one's perfect, just like the male champions. They're certainly not perfect. Um, what they're trying to do is to work within their sphere of influence to take action. Um, they're not there to have a chit-chat. Uh, most CEOs don't, aren't interested in just talking. They want action. And um, this group in particular are very action-oriented. So I'm quite heartened, actually, to see that there are six action groups and all of those action groups are doing a lot better than some of the other male champion groups because I think property has a very can-do attitude when they see a problem and they want to fix it and there's that motivation to do so. They, you know, are very methodical and look to fix it. But there are all those other issues involved which include bias within the system but also within people. So, yeah, that's the brief overview of that. We don't necessarily fix it properly either. That's <laughs> no. the problem. Lots of action, but sometimes in the wrong direction. Yeah. And you need to make mistakes mm. as well mm. to know what works and what doesn't, because it's not a science and, mm. you know, um, no one's sorted it out because if we had, we wouldn't be having this panel. Mm. And I might just um, take it from there to, to touch on a few points. So for those that haven't um, haven't read, I strongly advise you to do so. Um, the Grow the Talent Pool, which is the, the PCA EY um, report on um, on gender balance as, as it stands in the property industry at the moment. And I suppose one of those kind of quite intangible um, aspects, for, and it's quite culture-based for, for, for that drop-off into, into senior management, is this element of the boys' club. And one of the, the facts um, cited in the report is that 62% of women identified the industry's boys' club mentality as a barrier, um, and this is compared to only 35% of men. So I suppose, you know, from, from all of our personal experiences seeing in the property industry, how would you see that, that how that, can that challenge be overcome? I knew you were going to look at me on that one. Um, <laughs> as one male representative. That's right. Um, I'm feeling a little singled out here. Um, listen, I, I think it depends on what part of the industry you are from, because I think, like Amy said before, I think there's, there's good and bad elements and behaviours all the way through the industry. Um, one of the things we did as the Property Male Champions of Change was actually talk to um, five senior um, female leaders inside our organisations, which I did to actually have a chat about the Boys Club and whether it exists or not. Uh, we had just been through a, a merger, um, and it wasn't the Boys Club that was the issue. It was actually it was the In Club as opposed to the Boys Club, which was quite interesting. And it wasn't necessarily um, gender-specific. It was which company you came from. So I, I don't necessarily think we've got a major issue of the boys club inside our organisation, but I think as the broader property industry, I think there are elements where, you know, deals are done down the bar at lunchtime, so all those types of things, going to play golf, all those types of things. We just, I think you have to lead by example, and that's just not me. Um, so um, I think across our organisation, I think we're okay. We're probably not perfect at it. I think there are a number of things you need to do about... Um, putting on the right activities for people and making sure it actually makes sense for people. Um, putting them on at the right time as well. Um, there are some dumb things that have happened in the property industry where you look and go, just how could you be so stupid? You know, and some of these people um, are representing the industry and they just haven't thought about it. So I think, as Amy said, there are going to be mistakes made, but I think as an industry we're actually learning from it pretty quickly and trying to, trying to get that that boys club, and we've actually removed the boys club. I think it's actually inclusive, being inclusive as opposed to the boys club. How do you actually include people, not just from gender diversity, but from all, whether it's race, age or whatever, in terms of the discussions? Um, so having allowing people to have a voice at the table is actually really important, and rather then, than the loudest voice. 
Yeah, and Danielle, from, it was maybe from the from the construction industry as well. As you said, you know, when you started, you were incredibly underrepresented. Women were incredibly underrepresented in your grad group. Yeah. Have, did, have you personally found that? Yeah, I mean, let's raise your hands if you felt the boys' club. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I think um, I don't know if anyone's familiar with um, Valerie Francis from Melbourne Uni, but she's done a lot of work on. Um, on women in construction in particular and um, she she talks about how we're kind of at the stage of assimilation at the moment that women have been assimilated into the system but they don't experience full inclusion and I think certainly that's my experience um, to, to tell you a bit of my experience um, my last construction site the last two team functions ended at the strippers so um, I think that that still exists and it's sad that that still exists in this day and age. Um, and I think it's also, I don't know about property in particular, but in construction it's a bit about, you know, what school you went to and, um, you know, where you went to uni and um, all those kind of things. So it does become an inclusion problem more than a, um, perhaps a gender problem. Um, but I think... Um, I think I don't know how you break that when when the, the when the split is still so um, biased towards um, you know um, women and men. Um, I don't know how you um, uh, guess break down that barrier because um, you know if the men are in the majority, um, the things like the strippers still happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that's just, I think that's just appalling, right? That sort of behaviour is just that's just. That should be gone. I, and it's interesting. And, so, it's, and I yeah. think that's a, a at mm. this this day and age, it's still a it's a rarity. It's mm. not a constant thing, but it it does still happen. And I think um, uh, some companies or some sites are probably more mature than that, but um, some are still at that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting about what construction companies are represented on the property mail champion mm. change. And it was only when you started talking that there are a couple of gaps on it, isn't there? And, and those sort of leadership things have got to start mm. from the top. Ultimately, if that sort of behaviour is condoned, then it's going to continue. Okay. And I, I'm not going to talk about individual companies, but um, uh, I'm a Kiwi, right? So we get discriminated against this country every day of my life, right? <laughs> Mostly, particularly when the rugby started. Um, but I, I think it, as I, it, it starts from the top, ultimately. Yeah, and I think um, in no way does multiplex condone mm. that kind of behaviour. Um, that's just um, what happens in behind the scenes. Um, and I think you're right, though, um, a Lend-Lease or a Mervac, they're, they're mm. on that development side still too. They're not that um, old-school um, construction company. And I think that's probably, really, it's sad, but I think construction probably lags behind the, the other um, players in the industry. Mm. I suppose element, elements of that behaviour, I mean, one, one factor which could influence that um, would be having, as we've mentioned, more women in middle senior management. So I suppose I might go back to kind of from a, from a top level about how to, how to shift attitudes that, that would then support that. Um, again, the, the report mentioned that um, identified that, that pay equality between men and women was identified as, as, a, as a large barrier. Um, attitudes towards women in leadership was identified as a large barrier, just, just as a, as a 
um, corporate culture and attitudes towards work um, employee workplace flexibility, obviously accommodating for the various kind of childcare needs, both between male and females, um, was also identified as a, as a major barrier to, to movement into middle and senior management. So, um, Amy, did you have you kind of noticed across you know across the male chambers of change and the, and the companies that are represented in that? Um, you know, obviously there's been um, objectives to, to shift to shift those perceptions. And what what are they, and how how will they be implemented? Perceptions around women, or around, around those factors about you know right. pay equality, um, flexibility, and um, about just women in leadership roles. Yeah. Um, well, I think the biggest surprise from the Grow the Talent Pool report was that the perception of pay inequity from women was huge. Like, what was it, 65%, did you mm, say? Yeah, 65%. Yeah. Like, that's huge. Like, if people think they're being paid less for the same job, like, to that extent, then that's huge. Um, so, that that was the, when they thought, well, hang on a second, even if there isn't that huge pay gap, and we don't know yet because barely anyone does a pay audit and more people, more organisations are now, um, but if there's that perception, then people aren't going to stay. So we're not retaining talent and um, and there are so many complex factors in pay equity, um, but some of them relating to property, which make it slightly more complex and gendered, is the whole um, idea of commissions and also of bonuses. So um, And then also promotion rates. So how, um, how often are men being promoted and how often are women being promoted? And um, when they do performance ratings, is there gender bias in those ratings which affect their bonuses? So there's a whole layer of um, issues relating to gender bias that are in pay equity, um, which could mean that actually, yeah, we are, we do have a gender pay gap, we just don't realise. And there are different levels of pay gap too. So you've got fixed salary, variable salary, total, which is fixed and variable. And then you've got, um, you know, added bonuses like the company car, or you've got expenses that are paid for and that kind of thing. So um, that's one of the key areas that the property male champions are focusing on is pay equity at the moment. And I think that they're actually leading um, the other male champion groups who um, haven't been as focused on those areas. So I think pay, property is something um, that they will lead on. Pay is something property will lead on, uh, which is good. And uh, if they can do it, anyone can do it because even within and across um, various types, so across an agency versus um, development, there's going to be complex issues which mean you, it's hard to compare them. Um, so, yeah, I think that you need to deal with the perception of it by actually doing an audit that is um, either done externally so that the perception is that it's been objective or um, done internally but to a set standard of external measurements. So, you know, we're all going to agree that we'll do, we'll measure to these amounts and this is how a, a good practice pay equity audit is done. So doing your audit, then communicating your pay gap, which some of the big four have done in uh, Australia. That's one of the big things is to be transparent around pay and then to address it and... Um, I know that Lendlease in particular are really, really strong on pay equity at the moment and it's um, part of Steve McCann's personal KPI um, to have no pay gap um, and he's very committed and so are the people around him to that and that's great because he's been the leader of that action group on lead on gender reporting and has really um, motivated and brought the other guys along who may not have um, had that as their core focus in their business at that point. So I think they're making good strides. Um, in terms of attitudes to women in leadership and um, where we're going, I think 
it is what Angus says, it's leadership from the top and actually role modelling best practice and making sure that what you say you believe in is what you're actually doing. And often people don't realise that their actions don't reflect what they say. Um, so that's one of the focuses of the property group as well. Um, and if you want, if you're interested in that, the leadership shadow is a model that um, the male champions use to make sure that their actions are matching their words. Um, but then also making sure that it doesn't trickle down and then stop at middle management. Because we all kind of know by research that middle management is the point where things get difficult and you're either you're lucky and you get a really good manager or you're unlucky and you don't. Um, and it's very hard for executives to ensure that middle management get this issue and why it's important to them and then to change their behaviour of management as well. So um, you can do unconscious bias training, which is probably like the first thing you do, but that's really not going to do a lot for, um, you know, employees and the way they perceive flexibility arrangements and um, the gender gap and what discrimination women might face and men um, in paid parental leave. So, you know, we had that um, report from the Sex Discrimination Commissioner about return to work discrimination as much as when you're on parental leave. So there's a lot of things where um, there's bias that women are facing because they are the primary carer, which don't get me started because they shouldn't be the primary carer. Um, but then also the men who are the secondary carers who might actually take two weeks, which is great if they do, um, which is usually the standard of what a lot of organisations have, um, also face discrimination when they come back because they took carer's leave. Um, and also if they wanted flexibility, they'll face um, discrimination and are less likely to be given flexibility than women because it's just kind of thought that flexibility is a women's thing. Um, so, yeah, there's still a lot of that, as you say, perception and unconscious discrimination that's happening. And um, it's important to have policies that are progressive um, and and one of the first things I would say that's a progressive policy is to make sure that men and women have equal access to parental leave. They don't have to take it, but to just signal to employees that actually you're human beings, you've created a child or you've adopted one. And if you both want to take it at different points in your careers, we're really wholeheartedly believe that because you'll be more fulfilled and happy and productive and then we'll benefit from that and make more money and keep you and won't have to hire someone else. So that's something that I've been pushing a lot and got a bit of resistance from. And I think that employers are going to now have to actually step up on this because the government is reducing their contribution and they expect um, employers to actually provide this. I don't think that's, you know, necessarily the right answer, but this is one way of attracting talent and that is a focus for property is that there's a war for talent um, and we want diversity because we know we get more innovative solutions to our problems and also men and women buy property um, you know, our consumers are men and women. Um, but yeah, the other thing I would mention on just boys club, because I didn't, I didn't get to mention that was um, events, internal events and external events are a real issue in property because we, there's a lot of client events. Um, and the, the client is often a guy um, or they're seen as the guy or they invite the guys along as, you know, potential business. And so then you do unconsciously get really gendered events skewed to guys and the women don't get invited along and it might one of the examples um, is a, a beer trip um, to a whole range of breweries and everyone's on a bus going and drinking beer 
well, I mean, I like beer. I, I enjoy craft beer, but not everyone likes beer. And, you know, you kind of making an assumption that most guys will want beer or you're marketing to you for a new development and you have a women's event and a men's event. And the women's event's about work-life balance and the men's event is about elite sport and high performance. You know, I... One particularly poor example. Yeah, which, you know, it's it's not great. The, the men and women are not that different. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But it is about being inclusive and thinking what would everyone enjoy mm. um, and to make sure that you're consciously including women and in the same way that you would consciously include men. So I think that's one thing that property itself can do that's unique to property or more unique, um, which is, yeah, events mm. and panel pledge, of course. And Angus and Danielle, from your perspectives, how would you shift the unconscious bias? Um, geez, Amy covered about 300 things then. I'm just trying to remember what you said at the start. Well, um, there were two questions in one because I didn't get to do the boys' club. So. <laughs> um, uh, listen, I think the pay equity review is something that's pretty interesting and we don't know whether we've got a problem yet. Mm. Um, we're undertaking the pay equity review as we speak. Um, so the results of that are going to be um, really interesting. Um, obviously, we've got the split. We've got too many people in the senior level. Uh, we are looking to change that balance, but that's going to take a bit of time. Mm. Uh, we are looking to feed more people in at a lower level, but we've got to try and retain them. We've implemented um, and quite recently a, a flexibility policy, and our view is flexibility is for everyone. I mean, it's as much for um, someone who actually, whether you've got a child or not, it's for someone who actually wants to just take, take some time out and go and play whatever, a sport, learn an instrument or learn a language. So our flexibility policy is very broad. Um, it covers everyone. And now we've started to you know, provide some good examples that we can role model that we're actually living by the flexibility policy. And we haven't, you know, the expectation is, oh, we're going to be inundated with everyone who wants to work two days a week. Well, it just doesn't happen. Mm. So um, we're going to push that quite hard and we've taught... Um, or educated the sort of the people leaders so that they can go and talk to their teams about flexibility and how that works. Um, when we first got the, and we've got actually someone else who sits on from our organisation sits on our diversity um, inclusion team here um, and runs our sustainability group. So when we got the flexibility policy, we read it and it was like it was so draconian. And so I said, let's just dial it back. Let's make it warm and friendly so people actually want to do it. Not, not rather hear all these rules and procedures you have to jump through. Um, so that was pretty important. Um, and I think some of the people that we've bought inside the organisation, um, our head of digital marketing and people and culture, as a, a very senior lady, um, came from realestate.com.au. Um, and it's just, you know, she's very out there. And she is changing the culture of our business, which is just amazing. Um, so um, um, those types of things permeate through an organisation very quickly. So if you can get some senior people, Carolyn Viney that we've got, and we've got um, Simone Carroll, these type of very senior people, it's amazing the influence they make on the organisation. It's just fantastic. Um, so I think those things are really important. And Danielle, from your perspective, do you think obviously transparency is, is key, but would you have any anything else to, to add? Um, obviously, I don't deal with pay at a, the high level these guys do, but I think it's what frustrates me is that obviously if you're doing the same job and you're doing the same hours and you're getting the same results, you should be paid the same. And so if a pay gap exists, then that's a really fundamental problem. And I certainly see from my perspective, um, we obviously get bonuses and we get promotions, minor promotions, and um, it's certainly frustrating to see certain people 
get them, um, men or women, um, but obviously for the same work. Mm. So um, I think, I think, um, I, I think it's just. I think if companies are going out there and doing these audits and stuff, that's a fantastic thing because I think it's a really key thing we can fix now. We can fix it. Sorry, um, one. Sorry. Yeah. No, sorry, go, go. Um, <laughs> one thing we did for the first time this year was when we were going through the bonus round was actually we said, okay, what's the gender split on the bonuses when it came through? And you know, in 25 years, I don't think we've ever done that. And we sat through and said the gender balance is actually not quite right. So we actually went back and said, and let's let's, let's correct it. Um, now, very hard because the, the, the categories were broad and the roles were broad, but we actually got the gender balance right. It wasn't far away to start, but we looked at it and said, let's fix it. Um, so that was a conscious thing. And when we actually ranked all of the individuals from a talent point of view, the conversation was all about, let's make sure we've got a really good gender balance split in our senior leader team. And we've got 65 in the senior leaders and make sure that we've got sort of good representation all the way through rather than here's all the males, they've all done well, and everyone else is sort of floundering around the bottom. So um, I, I think that that sort of consciously, everything we do now, we're really conscious. You know, when we go to employ someone, I make sure, and we did this for the development role, I made sure that we had, and it was bloody hard to find senior female representatives that could run a $3.7 billion development pipeline. Um, and Carolyn Viney, and there's not many like her, she didn't necessarily fit the role perfectly because she doesn't have retail experience. But when we interviewed her, she has got fantastic managerial skills and we thought she is a great leader. Um, and she's been on the construction side, but not necessarily on the development side, if that makes sense. Um, and she was a great people fit for our organisation. So not necessarily, we had others that were better in terms of capability, but I think her broad rounding skills which is fantastic for our organisation. She's going to be a real role model for our organisation. I might just pick up on that point because I suppose that um, the one topic which has kind of come up constantly is the the topic of retention and how how best to you know not only support uh, movement through to management but how to actually kind of incentivise and retain female staff throughout their career in property. Um, and I suppose that that brings up the inevitable question of, of quotas, um, obviously quite a conceptual one when it comes to um, discussing it, but then if, we, if it's actually going to be implemented, if you find any member of the panel, whether you think it would be a positive thing, whether you've experienced it to be a positive thing. Yeah, I can jump in. Um, quotas, targets, hard targets, I love them all. Um, Quotas, government don't generally mind. Obviously, depends what government you've got. Um, Dan Andrews has a target, but it's practically a quota um, for their government boards, and it's 50% of all new um, board roles will be women and also in the judiciary, and they're following that and making sure they get there. So, yeah, he's actually out there doing it, and there's no um, issue there because there's plenty of qualified women in to do board roles and that's important because then it affects corporate boards because government is the neck is the stepping stone to corporate boards. Um, hard targets is something that corporates tend to like because it's got incentives to it. Um, the ASX is a good example when uh, Elmer Funky Cooper was the CEO there. Um, they had uh, targets for each level and each for gender balance. So each manager at any level um, had it in their KPIs that they needed to have gender balance in their teams. Um, and if they achieved that, their bonus went up 20%. And if they didn't achieve it, it went down 20%. And because everyone achieved their KPI except him, their bonuses went up and they needed to create a bigger bonus pool. Um, so the board signed off on that and had larger bonuses that year. Um, so that's one example of what 
uh, corporates tend to like because it's about performance and it's a business uh, KPI. It's about um, getting the best performance in your business as well as your people. So that's good. Um, targets in general, like aspirational targets, not so useful um, because it's wishy-washy. And if you don't have a plan to get somewhere, you're not ever really going to reach it. You're just going to say that you value gender balance and not do anything about it. But the main thing that um, we at the Women's Leadership Institute believe in is gender balance and having targets or quotas for men and for women. It's not about women and women having a special quota. Um, women are disadvantaged, but they don't need a special quota. Men need a special quota and women need a special quota because then you get gender balance. So for any group or team, we believe in 40% men, 40% women and 20% unallocated. So if you've got minimum levels for men and women, you know that you're going to have some level of gender diversity in your group, on your board, in your executive team, but then you've got leeway and 20% to say, well, you know, this person absolutely has to be a guy and, you know, our chain, our team might change and two people quit. So, you know, things are always moving. You can't always get 50-50. Um, that's obviously, you know, great if you can, but it's about being practical and flexible, but always making sure you've got gender balance. So I don't really believe in having a target of 30% women because that's an implication that you've got a target of 70% men. Um, so, that's kind of where we've got to and it's had great reception in government and in corporates um, but obviously every corporate will set what suits them and their company culture but the main issue and the thing that comes up is this whole thing about merit and oh well merit will be compromised if we you know let women in um, well no it won't because we're not getting merit right now merit is compromised um, because if we had merit we would have 50 50 um, you know women are, are graduating from university at high levels there are very very many qualified capable women that I meet at every level who could do all of these jobs maybe the only area where there's a lack of women is engineering because of the lack of women doing that and a lot of them are international students so they don't stay around in Australia they take their skills back to the country that they um, were born in often and that's also an issue but yeah from my my view they're all good it's up to them what they want to call it it's kind of a little bit like semantics but um, it, it targets with teeth in particular for male champion organizations do work and have worked and have been something that a lot of the men have adopted. And Danielle, I might, might throw to you, yep. from obviously from your personal perspective, but also from, from the women that you've interviewed yep. for Gazella, from a completely diverse range and, and diverse um, levels of, of industry as well, from, from kind of entry level through to senior management, yep. what has been the general perception of quotas? It's really, it's probably the most mixed question mm. we get, I think, actually. Um, some people really are passionate for it and some people just think it's a joke. Um, I think... Um, some people want to believe in the meritocracy. Um, I personally don't believe that exists. And so I think that quotas have their place in getting women in. Um, I think the problem does lie, though, um, as Amy said, probably more in different facets of the industry just don't have potentially the women in the pool to pick from. Um, and obviously you've experienced that yourself, Angus. So... Um, but it is by far the most mixed question I think we ever ask is quotas. And Angus, do you have quotas? Would you consider quotas? We've got a quota target. How does that sound? Um, <laughs> it, we, we do have targets mm. um, and they're published in our annual report. Um, so you can go on our website and see those. Um, and we will get reviewed against those. 
Um, I, I think one of the things the property industry doesn't do a great job at is when we promote um, women into senior positions that are not necessarily their skill base. We set them up for failure sometimes. So I think the support, um, particularly if you've come from an area where it's not your area of expertise, you've got the you've got the maybe the managerial skills, but if you don't have the, the technical expertise in that specific role, I've seen it happen whereby. Um, they've thrown, been thrown someone into a role and then left them to their own devices and haven't given them the support to succeed. Um, and there's one quite high-profile person which is that's happening to at the moment, not in our organisation. I think that's a really disappointing thing. So I think we're actually serious about getting people from just with broad range skills into roles, set them up for success, not don't set them up for failure. Um, and I see that as a failing of the property industry generally. It's more like, oh, well, you're a bloke, you can get in there and just get on and get the job done and don't ask too many questions. I mean, that just doesn't work these days. Um, so I think that's an area we need to focus on. Um, interesting, my, I think my views have changed over the years. I think you do as you start to get more debate around these subjects. And um, I hosted a panel, sorry, a group, a, a, um, um, uh, a group of about 15 senior females in our organisation, not the current organisation, a previous one. And the discussion came up around the table about quotas or targets. And a number of the females in the room didn't want them. They wanted to get there mm. on merit. And then it was industry. One of the quieter ladies in the group um, who worked in our accounts department, she said, it's just never going to work. Right? This has been going on forever. If you have these sort of soft targets or just say we're going to try and be better... We'll just never get there. Um, and then the CFO for the business at the time said, listen, he was at Westpac and they actually put targets, all the men hated it. And he said, after a while, you just got used to it and actually changed the gender balance quite materially. Um, and it just became part of doing business. And so he, his, his change was dramatic. Um, so I think it's, it's going to become more commonplace um, and I think yeah, males have had it too good for too long, probably, and they've sort of got there, whether it's by merit or other things. And I, and I think the, the balance is changing, but it is a bit slow. I think it will improve. I think, sorry, I think there's certainly among younger females a, a perception that if you're getting promoted on a quota, that you're going to feel like you're not deserved of that. And that's a bit of a, um, I guess, um, a fear amongst younger women that, um, they're going to be perceived as not deserve deserving the position. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that's that's a good point. I listen. G generally, if we had two people and they had equal skills, um, I would probably be selecting a female to actually try and improve our gender representation. If there's a material gap in the skills for the role we needed, or we couldn't fix that skill gap, well, I, I think that's a different story. But it is difficult, and you don't want to be seen. Um, you don't want to be seen to be, uh, hey, whether it's, at the moment it's gender, it could turn into race, and that's maybe not a good thing either. So it's just getting that balance right. Um, and I think if the organisation sees you employing really good people into roles, it's not necessarily their fit. Again, you'll use Carolyn Viney as an example. She wasn't necessarily the perfect fit for our role, but she's come in like a breath of fresh air, and people have gone, wow, she's going to be incredible in the role and she's getting a lot of support, not that she actually needs it. I, I think those things are really important. Um, and it changes, the, it's amazing how it actually changes the conversation around the table. Mm. I think it's really good. And also leaders aren't going to choose 
bad people because it looks bad on them. Yeah. Yeah, they want to sure. look good. Yeah. So they're not going to pick a mediocre woman in there just tokenistically because she's a no. woman. They're going to pick them because they're an excellent candidate and will reflect good well on them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there is the, the perception and it's probably other people perceiving it rather than the woman perceiving that she really got there unfairly. Um, but I don't. I think that's really just a... I mean, it's a real experience for yeah. some, but it's not a legitimate reality. Um, it's just something that is in there as a bias um, of yeah. people thinking that, you know, somehow women are going to get affirmative action and be unfairly promoted. And that's because it's about changing power and shifting power dynamics and having more women in power means that some men won't be in power, um, you know. So not a lot of men. You'll still have, you know, nearly 50-50, but... Mm. Yeah, it's and in your in a male dominated environment that's been historically male dominated, you're naturally going to get that. And as um, it's in construction, you know, it's no surprise. And I did hear women in engineering raising the same kind of questions, but I just say, forget about it. Don't give it a second thought. Let think about it for a minute and then forget about it because you're you got there on merit. Yeah, I mean, we we won't employ someone just because they're female. I think yeah. that would be a disaster for our organisation and for the female coming in as well. That's setting them up for failure. Um, But what we need to do is make sure we've got, um, you know, when I interview people, I always have, we have a range of interviews and there's always female interviewers on the panel as well. Um, And so you get get a good diversity of thought when you're interviewing people. Um, So uh, that's really important. Um, But it's got to go right throughout the organisation and we're not perfect yet. I think we're doing some good things. We're a long way behind others in the industry. There's some really good market leaders. Um, but we're trying hard and we want to do better. I might just quite conscious of time, um, let, open up to questions if, it, if anyone has any for the panel. Before it snows. Before it snows. <sighs> yes? I think there's been a lot of a fair business case. Amy might know better for um, gender diversity. Yep. Um, well, what are we here for? Um, so, do you, is that a comment on this question? Can I answer first? <laughs> Just. You yeah. might get a few responses here. <laughs> Sounds like you've answered your own question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just repeat the question for those that didn't hear it about quotas for quotas' sake, um, which is could be seen as what we've, what we've been discussing. But what really is what it, what really is the benefits of that, and, and what you know what what are we working towards? And Amy, you, may, you yeah. might want to go into the business case. Um, 
Well, yeah, you did kind of answer your question. Um, but in terms of the business case, it's been there for probably 15 to 20 years and it keeps getting developed over time. So we started out with the business case for women on boards. Um, that's been developed to women in executive roles. That's now been developed to women in front P&L roles. And what makes a difference when you have men and women in those roles, which are on, you know, focused on the bottom line, um, you know, focused on every aspect of um, every organisation. So, you know, I'd say that you need 50-50, not just overall, but you need it in your leadership team, um, you need it in all the levels down. And the reason why is, as you say, diversity of thinking, diversity of experience, um, diversity of perspective, diversity of problem solving, um, every organisation. And what Susan Lloyd Hurwitz said recently is that it actually makes, makes Mervac more innovative they come up with better solutions to their issues they um you know are more profitable uh they have more harmony um in their workplace and less cultural issues um so you know men and women aren't necessarily going to be thinking differently because their brains are different their brains aren't different, men and women. Like the biological thing about, you know, women, um, you know, think differently and are not as good at these areas and men are better at these areas because they had testosterone is debunked by Cordelia Fine, if you're interested. Um, and I'm talking about it tomorrow at a City of Melbourne talk, which is sold out, but you, you could try and get in, um, which I'll talk about that. But basically, there is no difference between men and women, but there is a very big difference in their lived experience and the types of things that they know and perceive in, and because of their position in a society that is gendered. Um, so in that sense, uh, and they are actually, yet yeah, the biggest majority, that's a minority. So um, the fact is it's not women for women's sake. Um, when we talk about women, we're focusing on them because they're not there. Um, but really, as I say, it's about men and women together because, um, you know, we're a society of two sexes um, and it really comes down to different thought styles, different problem solving styles, and you're more likely to culturally have that difference, but also, um, you know, in just the way that they are. But yeah, there is an example of um, homogenous groups who have very high IQs um, and then a diverse group with moderate IQs and the diverse group with moderate IQs high, well outperformed the homogenous group with high IQs. So there's all of this evidence to show that diversity of all kinds is very beneficial to business and because there is this war for talent, um, you know, and we are trying to outcompete and the margins are a lot more narrow, um, that's why we're focusing on gender and because women are so um, missing uh, in society and, you know, part of that is caring, part of that is gender, part of that is stereotyping, part of it is... Um, yeah, all these different things that we learn when we're children. Um, that's why, yeah. But yeah, as you say, it's diversity, but at all levels. Sorry, what was that? Hmm. I think part of... Why? Yeah, it's funny because when we started the property male champions group, um, people who work in my field just know the business case 
they may be wearing a bubble, a bit, mm. a bit of a bubble, because we talk about this every day. Sometimes I get gender fatigue because I talk about it so often and everyone's talking about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Like, you know, it's in my life all the time. And it is true that some people didn't know why and wanted to look at the figures as to why. So at one of the events I heard, you know, one of the guys, and I'm sure he's probably, you know, he just loves spreadsheets. And he was like, oh, you know, didn't really realize this was important. I want to do the figures on this and see what the important, what the benefit is. He was earnestly just not aware that, you know, this has been happening for a long time and that's why we're doing it. So a lot of it is just the assumption that we've done the business case. We've talked about it till our, you know, is fall off um, and now we want to move on. But that said, you make a good point. You need to make sure that we bring everyone along because some people may never have been exposed to this topic or why it's important in the first place. And I think that male champions of change is is quite fundamental to that because whilst um, when I first heard of it, I had a, that an initial kind of reaction that it's a shame that they're all men. And I suppose that the representation of, of those CEOs to have you know enormous influence over enormous amounts of employees within companies is essential for that, it, and has you know the wider, most around broadcast for it. Well, that was one of the first questions I asked: is why is there just men that sit mm. on the panel? And there was a good reason. Um, it was Carol well, called something about why it's yeah. the males on it. Um, to shoulder the responsibility remember. and be yeah. accountable. Because yeah. there was that question that um, Adam Tyndall was in our group and he was head of AMP Capital and then Carmel Hurrigan mm. replaced Adam. Um, and the question was, should she be a champion of change or should she be a special advisor? And um, the founding group did the same with Deloitte when Cindy Hook came in to be the CEO. And the reason was the burden is on women a lot of the time and has been for, you know, a century or more. And uh, and in this particular model, it's about men who have that influence taking accountability and responsibility for the work on it and affecting change. So it's not about excluding women. It's actually just in Liz Broderick's um, view, trying to include the men and make them own this issue as a business issue for them and personally as well as, as an organisation. Is there any more questions? Yep. I've got a suggestion. When they're all having their beers on Friday night, actually bring someone along to come and speak like Amy. But, <laughs> yeah, but, I'll convert seriously, them. But, but if you actually <laughs> had, one of my skills. <laughs> if you actually had someone to come along and talk to them, it's going to be very hard. Um, someone 
at, at probably maybe a slightly older or senior level. Imagine getting a Steve McCann from Lend mm. Lease or something like that to come along to that organisation, running one of the largest companies in Australia, and saying, here's why we're doing it. Um, but they need someone sort of almost at a peer-to-peer level. They're not going to listen to anyone junior. Um, I came from a farming background. It's amazing how um, my cousin, who was the boy in the family, he was a few years older than me. He had three older sisters who were 10 years older. and They got nothing. My, my cousin got given the whole farm, um, and there was, it was a massive farm and a lot of wealth, and the girls got nothing. I said, that's mm-hmm. just appalling. Right? And it's amazing. This is sort of some 30 years later. It's all starting to manifest itself now. Um, but that sort of historic behaviour is it's just archaic. Um, but you need someone to come in and educate them, uh, and it'll be a slow process. I mean, someone's got more ideas than me around that. I also think we need to take that on ourselves, and we need to um, get on the feminist bandwagon. And I know that some people think that's a dirty word, but it's not. We need to hop on that and keep pushing our agenda because um, if we're not going to do it and your colleague, that's male, is not going to do it for you. So, From a, a personal level, and it's why I... Uh, try to incorporate a panel like this into what we do as well. Um, Neo Metro is, is, a, is a small company and I've come from a larger corporate which had that emphasis and um, just moving to a smaller environment, I found it personally quite difficult because it's 90% men, the only women that are employed are in administrative roles and myself in marketing, which is a typically quite a female role. Um, and I think it's just, yeah, constantly making people aware and having zero... Uh, hold back into you know calling things out if there's you know if there's language that shout across the office I say that's inappropriate and I think you know whilst um, I'm not a, a senior member of my business people do acknowledge and do take that on board because you know once you're in a smaller business obviously you know people on a much more personal level and, and hopefully that kind of respect can can have some form of influence as well yeah I mean I oversee or have oversight of corporates and a range of other sectors, but I work in a family office and um, we were female-dominated, um, women in property investment, in finance, um, and we had to get men in uh, to our office to make it somewhat gender-balanced, um, which we've just recently done. Um, but in terms of your question, I would be looking at building a coalition so you can lead it. Um, and you should if that's something that you think is important, and it is. Um, but finding, you know, not everyone's going to be getting buy-in or, or think that it's important, but if you find, a co- you know, a man or two or a woman and a man, you know, to start building a coalition and a group so that when you raise something, they back you up and echo you, your voice is amplified. And um, framing it around the idea about it's a business issue, we want to be a successful family business and build on our successes, how are we going to do that? And here are the best practices at a small business level Um, because it is different for small business and not all small businesses can do the same as corporates can do. Um, But in some ways they're actually more innovative because they have a smaller team and they have more creative ways to tackle things and aren't burdened by bureaucracy. Mm. Um, which is why I like my job is there's no bureaucracy at all and I just, you know, we do what we want and we're not beholden to anyone because we're independently funded. So that's a a thing that is, you know, your uh, competitive edge really. Um, So, yeah, and and in that space of small business, there aren't a lot that are doing really well. So in that sense, you can also attract great talent to your family business or small business because of... 
um, the fact that, yeah, you, you would be miles ahead, I'm, I'm guessing. Maybe find another organisation that's of a similar size that actually does have some gender diversity, um, where there's another construction company that's similar. Um, that could be kind of interesting as well. I think it's a simple fact that the more women there are, the easier it is to toe that line. Mm. So. Um, just quite wary of time, I might wrap up there. Um, and I'm sure some of the speakers are going to hang out for a bit if anyone had some further questions. Um, but I hope you can join me in thanking them for giving their time tonight. So thank you. Mm.